Hello. Hello. Sorry, I was on mute. Oh. <laughs> I lost my window. <laughs> oh, I was looking up my notes. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, I just didn't want to click, click, click in your ear. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm for sure I click in your ear all the time. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert. When this podcast talks about the books, it talks about it in the context of the entire The Song of Ice and Fire series. And when it does so about the television shows, it does so in the context of the most recent episode. You've been warned. Before the Dragon, a podcast dedicated to George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire and the HBO Game of Thrones prequels franchise. Another Thursday edition of Before the Dragon podcast here for you. It's our part two of exploring this week's chapters from Fire and Blood by George R. R. Martin. We're continuing our discussion of the dying of dragons, the red dragon and the gold, and are going to do the discussion on the dying of dra- of the dragons, Rhaenyra Triumphant. I am joined by Kelly. That's our siren of A Song of Ice and Fire from the West. You can find her at Kelly Underfoot on Twitter. And before we get back to these chapters, real quick, mattsaudioblog.com. That's your one-stop shop for everything this podcast. That's M-A-T-T-S audioblog.com. You'll also find our The Dust podcast, at least an initial placeholder episode. We're going to be covering his dark materials coming out to BBC and HBO this fall, as well as maybe looking into Philip Pullman's books. I'll be joined by our siren of A Song of Ice and Fire from the South, Holly, for those. Uh, But you can find uh, our placeholder podcast there at the website. You can also find all of our contact information, like mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, or tweeting at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on the Twitter. If you have any feedback regarding any of these fire and blood chapters, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to share it. Now we record a little bit in advance, so we'll probably just collect all of the feedback and put it into one final feedback podcast after we've concluded our read. And uh, we've still got a couple more weeks of reading ahead. So uh, look forward to finishing this book with you. Glad you're here with us reading it. Let's get back to me and Kelly talking about Chapter 15, The Dying of the Dragons, The Red Dragon and the Gold. Chapter 15, The Dying of Dragons, The Red Dragon and the Gold. You were talking about Jace making all of these decisions. That kind of brings us to the Battle of the Gullet, or in the Gullet, I suppose. And um, the boat that uh, Aegon the Younger uh, and Viserys are placed on it basically sails right into the fleet of uh, the three daughters, right? Yeah, exactly. The attack that Lord Otto was planning all along, you know, even in his his absence now, his plans are, are working for the king. <laughs> that guy was playing the long game and it worked like gangbusters here because, yeah, 90 of these uh, triarchy warships <laughs> come out of the sea and do this pincer move around Dragonstone and take out, I don't know if it was just the one ship or even just uh, the tiny fleet that they were taking from uh, Driftmark to uh, Pentos. But yeah, they um, they take them out pretty quick. <laughs> it's like, uh, no, no problem here. We're just a, like, the gay abandon, um, just having a gay time in the water and, you know, just ferrying some, some little boys to, uh, to Pentos and, 
Yeah. 90 warships. <laughs> 90 warships. Yeah. That, not much of a chance there. It does end in disaster, of course, because we have Prince Aegon being able, he manages to get get away, right? Prince Aegon, yeah. the younger. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's able to just hang on and he's got this dragon who I'm just picturing um, smaller than a horse, but able to fly just barely. And this little kid, like the only reason he's able to fly is because he's like nine years old and weighs nothing. <laughs> yeah. It also kind of implies, you'll have to stick around folks to see for sure, but it also kind of implies a good origin for the term friendly fire, literally, uh, because it seems that uh, uh, Viserys... Um, is thought to have died in this as well, even though he was still on the boat. Yeah, it was just like, I can just picture it being chaos and maybe uh, Sea Smoke was about to fly away and Aegon was like, no, or trying to, you know, keep her calm. And then, you know, just before he knew it up in the air, oh, and Sea Smoke was male. So yeah, just flew away unintentionally, leaving his little brother there. And of the 90 ships, I think only like, 28 limp home so the gay abandon got attacked and then they kept attacking and then they were uh set upon by the rest of the dragons that we just went over the dragon seeds and and jace but they didn't know what ship the boy was on viserys you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) he had a one in 90 chance (laughs) (laughs) he had a 28 and 90 chance Oh yeah, like by the end we have a the, the the odds are a little bit better, but they were hitting uh they were hitting them all. They were hitting them all, and it, it's sad. Um, but uh, just stick a pin in that for now, folks. And <laughs> the the one big thing, of course, is that uh, Jace uh, is a casualty here, and Veramax is a casualty here. So mysterious, like what happened. He was like the most, he'd been the one riding the longest, um, I think, out of everybody who showed up, right? Because it's just him and then all of the dragon seeds. I guess maybe he felt the need to be the most valiant and take the most risk or, or something. And uh, it just says the Vermex flew too low. And some of the stories about what happened to Vermex, like the rigging, ripping Vermex open and all of that is horrific. Um, I suppose the only way a dragon can truly die is in a horrific way. It takes something pretty huge to to kill a dragon, I suppose. Yeah, and it is curious if this story existed in the times of, you know, if anybody knew of this story in Danny's time. This isn't an interesting idea, is to use the weight of the dragon's own flight against it, because they are just so fast and big that if you are able to catch it, then its own force will do damage to itself you know, as the, uh, the hook did on, uh, perhaps Veramax here. Yeah. Uh, awful. Jace becomes yet another person, mm-hmm. dragon ride rider for the blacks that has an unrecovered body. That's three now. Yeah. Is <laughs> it heading up, Matt? This is a theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if it's a theory, but it's an awfully strange circumstance. Let's just put it that way. It's a weird thing. I don't, I don't know how to draw a conclusion from it. I'm just gathering evidence at the moment. <laughs> that's fair and i suppose there is just this chance when you're uh, constantly fighting 
on a dragon <laughs> that you may not, your body may not be recovered. I think a couple of these being over water is uh, also coincident. We could just say, look at all these fights happening over water and the bodies are never recovered. What a mystery. <laughs> it doesn't sound as. <laughs> it's true. It's like, well, the, the body sank. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is a repeated uh, theme at least. Yes, it is definitely a repeated theme. What else do we want to say about the Battle of the Gullet? Anything? Oh, poor Valerians. Uh, their their lands got um, all of the Lord, um, was it Lord Corliss Valerians, uh, riches, everything that he earned and found and brought back from his seven great travels or, you know, adventures. He brought it back and kept it in Spice Town and now it is burned. Yeah. He's lost everything pretty much outside of the ships that he has, I guess. Yeah. So it's like one two punch for this guy. Super sad. Very sad. Turning to uh Aemon and, and Cole and, and the Lannisters attack. Um, but this this is what creates a real opportunity, right? Because most of the uh the dragon riders or or most of the dragons uh that are being ridden outside of maybe a couple are are being are leaving King's Landing. Um, thousands of the small folk streamed out of the city gates, carrying their children and worldly possessions on their backs to seek safety in the countryside. Others dug pits and tunnels in, under hovels, dark, dank holes where they hoped to hide whilst the city burned. Grandmaster Munkin tells us that many of the hidden passageways and secret subcellars under King's Landing date from this particular time. Uh, and I always kind of wondered, is this pop? Is this possibly one of those tunnels that uh, maybe Magar had started with with the building of the Red Keep, but also might have gotten tunneled a little further than normal, and maybe Tyrion uh, might have used one of those these particular tunnels to get to Shay in Clash of Kings. Yeah, and I think there's a indication that these tunnels were. Uh, joined and um, utilized by Tywin when he was hand, right? Yes. Yeah. So they were started here and continued on in Tywin, and then uh, Tyrion found a good use for himself with them as well in Clash. Um, or Varys helped him. I can't remember. If, was it Varys that helped him figure that out? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, on the inside, and, and this is what makes it even more perilous for an Aegon who is just, you know, he's got a burnt arm and he's broken hips and broken ribs and he's just kind of bedridden. Damon uh, still has a lot of people in the city watch that are loyal to him because he started it with the gold cloaks and all of that stuff. Yeah, he was put in charge of them or whatever and then like made them better. <laughs> he was like, what? come on, we can do better than this. And they loved him for it. So yeah, he's got like big fans, no matter who they tell, you know, they're, whomever they are told they are uh, supposed to take orders from. Their allegiances, their loyalties definitely lie with Damon and the, the Blacks. So when Eamon leaves, because uh, he's like, I've got to get out there and, you know, we've won all, we've done these like a couple victories and Eamon, uh, he, I think it's funny leading up to this, the, the Lannisters keep uh, coming from the West and they keep hitting all of these little skirmishes and they keep losing their commander. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, oof, oof. That's uh, harsh. And then they end up with this like old 
um, leader who's like getting carried around. In a litter, um, yeah. Yeah, that guy. I don't know. There was a bit of um, Schadenfreude. I'm kind of enjoying the the Lannisters getting their butts kicked. <laughs> so yeah, so Eamon's doing this pincer move up in the Riverlands because he's thinking that uh, we've we've been victorious. You know, they're they're down a dragon. The time is now. We got to do this, and uh, he leaves King's Landing like a dum dum. <laughs> There's one dragon left, and it's Dreamfire, and she's doesn't have a rider. Yeah, so I mean, this is perfect opportunity for the Blacks to come in and and take uh, King's Landing, and they do. It's the the, the big mistake, and of course, uh, Amon arrives at Hall to find it basically abandoned, right? <laughs> yep. And you have a couple times this happens where you have a all of the forces think that they have the the moment to the opportunity so they strike and as soon as they strike there's that vacuum and now they're attacked and you have it happen in King's Landing as soon as Aemon leaves uh the blacks come in with all of their dragons and then you have as soon as the Lannisters leave the Iron Islanders come in and they decided that now is a good time to join <laughs> right exactly <laughs> um so you've got all that going on but eventually King's Landing is taken over and this quote really struck me because uh, as readers, we've all heard stories about the throne rejecting its seated, the person seated on it. Once Rhaenyra does take the throne, uh, we get this quote. And as her lord husband, Prince Damon, escorted her from the hall, cuts were seen upon her grace's legs and the palm of her left hand, wrote Eustace. Drops of blood fell to the floor as she went past and wise men looked at one another though none dared speak the truth aloud. The Iron Throne had spurned her, and her days upon it would be few. Um, that's a pretty powerful quote right there, because we typically think of, at least from the Targaryen line, where what have we seen what some people claim the Iron Throne just uh, took Magor? We don't really think that that's what happened, but uh, you know, he was found dead, all cut up on the Iron Throne. And then we have this happening to Rhaenyra. I don't know. Is this supposed to be the point where we as... I, I think the next chapter does it more so for me, but is this supposed to be the point where we as readers are supposed to say, well, maybe... Because I was... Last week, as you know, I was all for Rhaenyra. I was Team Rhaenyra. I was Team Blacks. <laughs> and now I see this and I think... Oh, based on everything else I've heard about stories about the Iron Throne and cuts and everything, maybe I shouldn't be Team Rhaenyra. I don't, I, I think this goes back to when she was initially trying to not start uh, bloodshed because she was actually the most concerned about becoming a kinslayer. Mm. And that's kind of what um, she blamed, you know, it specifically said a couple times about how that's why Magor was cursed. And it's just the, the exact, that exact way that he died is now her first experience of sitting on the throne is like this exact thing that she was afraid of is happening. And she had, um, I guess she didn't command for that to happen for a blood and cheese event, but it was it, her uprising or her, her trying to claim her throne that yeah, got her got to do the Harry Truman thing. Buck stops here, Rhaenyra. Yeah. got her nephew killed. Um, so that's the one thing she was trying to avoid. And she had a very specific reason for trying to avoid it. And it seems to be coming true, I guess. Uh, maybe that's a subconscious thing and she's doing it to herself. 
you know, if we're trying to like take a little bit of the mystical out of it, but it does seem pretty, uh, pretty bad omen. <laughs> I, I love how, I love how, uh, uh, Eustace had written that it was wise men who looked at one another with the blood dripping from her. What would they know about this? Why, 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 because they saw blood, what makes them wise? Because they looked closely and they were, I don't know, maybe everyone else's like eyes on the floor or thinking about themselves. She's like all night been like, you know, parading people through to, to kneel before her, plead for forgiveness, swear their lives and swords in honor to her. They're a little distracted, but I guess if they're, you know, being observant of their queen at this point or whoever's in charge of them now, even if they don't consider her their queen. Yeah, but how do you, be, how do you become <laughs> wise enough to know what that actually means? <laughs> no, yeah, that, that's a rhetorical. That's a that's a rhetorical saying. question. I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I just I just love so, so to me that's the painting of of Gildane or or, or of Eustace. Um, this these these are the kinds of these are the kinds of things that are propaganda. I see what you're saying for sure. It, it kind of actually seems like um, superstitious men look at each other and know what that means, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the opposite. Of course, maybe what maybe they are wise because they know, you know, ah, the White Walkers as a superstition, a silly superstition. <laughs> yeah, maybe in this world, being a little superstitious is <laughs> the same as having an open mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. What, oh, it's so random. Yeah, it's like the opposite of what you'd expect. Because <laughs> it does turn out to be true. <laughs> yes, it does turn out to be true. Um, so it's easy in retrospect to call him wise. Exactly. Also in this chapter, before we end it, because it kind of ends there, but I think we, did we skip Sunfire? Oh, let's talk about Sunfire. Yeah, let's end on a happy note. <laughs> They've got a little bit of breathing room, uh, the, the Riverland Lords. So the Mutons take a hundred nights out of maiden pool and they join with the crabs and all of these other, they call them like a uh, half wild men <laughs> and they go and they retake Rick's rest. Say that three times fast. Um, no. And no. Okay. <laughs> and they go to put an end to Sunfire. You, I don't, I didn't feel super bad about them at this point. Cause I feel like this might've been a mercy killing, mm. but they try and Sunfire's having none of it. And they try again and Sunfire's having none of it. <laughs> and then like, barely like a handful of them get you know the hint <laughs> yeah and run away and then uh two weeks later they come back and uh sunfire is gone with not a trace nor a tooth or scale to be seen <laughs> no tracks that was the thing that was most interesting about that now if it had a bad wing how did it possibly fly at this point, you got to be thinking it must have healed. Bigger, it healed, or a bigger dragon carried it off, or it uh, it's another world. You know, it's magical, so it has or, some other. Or it just spontaneously combusted and and <laughs> uh, and vaporized its own skeleton in the process. Yes, yes, some mixture of uh, the, uh, the maggots upon it that uh, had they found there. If they had only had the CSI Catlin team. To uh, investigate. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, it seems to us that Sunfire has escaped tragic death. Yay! Yay! <laughs> like one of the few times you get to celebrate, we got to take it. 
do we want to move on to the next chapter? Yeah, that was, that was all of it. That yeah. is all of it. The Dying of Dragons. Rhaenyra Triumphant. Actually, that should be Rhaenyra Triumphant? <laughs> In my opinion. Yeah. Chapter 16. The Dying of Dragons. Rhaenyra Triumphant. I want to bring back Alice Rivers real quick. From back from our first, the first chapter we started with in this particular week. And Alice Rivers is, she was tolerated by Damon. Everybody seemed, Damon seemed all right with her and everything. Now she's getting, she's uh, laying it on to Eamon. I mean, I ain't got nothing else but a castle, but I got this Alice Rivers. I'm going to take that as a spoil. And um, turns out uh, she kind of does a number on him. <laughs> Uh, how do you mean? I mean that uh, she pretty much ends up with him for the rest of our read, uh, or at least the rest of our week. This week's read, <laughs> and uh, the, 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 how she does this, not sure. Is she a witch, or is she just really that good? Uh, I'll leave you all to fill in the blanks there. Mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, we have uh, we have her being with child. With dragon, <laughs> with dragon, possibly, um, and uh, I love this. The prince helped this woman down from Vega's back, then turned to face his uncle. Nuncle, I hear you have been seeking us. Only you, Damon replied. Who told you where to find me? My lady, Amon answered. She saw you in a storm cloud in a mountain pool at dusk. In the fire we lit to cook our suppers. She sees much and more, my Alice. You were a fool to come alone. And that's at the end of the chapter, but all of a sudden, you know, I'm thinking, you know, this Alice Rivers and the whole Brendan Rivers and his abilities and the parallels of seeing things in the flames and all of this stuff. She's definitely a witch, but how much of it was witchcraft and how much of it was woman craft as far as Eamon was concerned honestly like uh from what we're given in the book i would go as far as to say i think a lot of it is witchcraft uh, or sorcery or beguilement of whatever term you want to use and i would go back to right before the green council or right after the green council when they went to go find um all of allison's sons and children and it kind of goes through what each of them are doing in that moment. And you have Aegon is sleeping around or doing something tawdry, but Aemond is putting on his armor and getting ready to go uh, train or go fight. I found that juxtaposition kind of interesting about the, these two boys and how they spend their time. And I liked, I think that this shows how, you know, we have Aemon um, is kind of the, the one that sparks the fighting in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think this is very much Eamon's character to be a fighter. And he, we don't really hear much about him. You know, he kissed some girls uh, for uh, the, at the Baratheon um, betrothal, but we don't hear much about his interest in women until Alice. So I would say that this is supposed to be kind of a, a 180 for his character. Oh, okay. Very good. Very good. Uh, I, can't say I disagree with you there. Let's move on to another thing. Or, or what else do you have about uh, Alice, if anything? She is super interesting. And I think the more we uh, get from her, we kind of get 
it's kind of like peels back a little bit more and a little bit more of her motivation, you know? And (laughs) Mm -hmm. when you know more of a character's motivation, you know a little bit more about their goals or what they're trying to do. And you don't have to rely upon exactly what they're saying because you can't always trust that. So (laughs) the fact that she ends up pregnant, you know that she would know how to not do that. So we feel like that must have been a goal at some point anyway. Mm. And it kind of goes back to what she was doing. Um, Mushroom said she was doing when she was a wet nurse to the people that were, her, you know, that looked her age at mm-hmm. Heron Hall. So she kind of has this thing with shadow babies maybe or something to do with babies. So, yeah, I think this is her goal all along was to get a king's blood in her. <laughs> wow. Right on. Good deal. It's easiest to follow like where the characters are because at this point the book starts like jumping around back and forth a lot trying to maintain a timeline as opposed to a uh, <laughs> one character at a time, so it gets kind of confusing. Um, mostly, uh, Renera in King's Landing she starts to make some tough decisions that really backfire on her. I feel like, <laughs> yeah, it's it seems it seems like uh, she could have done better. Um, <laughs> we have. You know, she's rewarding, you know, what you expect somebody to do is, you know, she's rewarding friends and punishing enemies, but the punishments end up kind of going, I think, too far. And then the taxes are even just kind of a thing that she has to do, but it turns all the people against her. And what's she doesn't do anything to ease that. So it seems a little bit like uh, she kind of is definitely heading down the path that the uh, they cited at the end of the last chapter. For some reason, there, there there's just this dark turn of personality with Rhaenyra where we had her so before not wanting to shed King's blood and everything or Kin's blood now um, her decisions seem less rational and more emotional than before to me yeah like every time she lost a son or a child she would get more and more vengeful I suppose and then you know of course that makes sense but mm-hmm. it just it, it seems like you would, I guess she doesn't get a chance to breathe. Like this all happens within a year. You don't have time to grieve and process and you just, and you have the tools at your disposal to take your vengeance. So it does seem like this is just the psychological thing that happens to people when they're at the top in power and they have these horrible things happen to their family. The, she has Sir Otto uh, or Lord Otto Hightower beheaded, mm-hmm. uh, the guy Tyland Lannister, who was the master of coin, uh, given to the torturers. So he's going to pop up again later, but he's not in for a good time. <laughs> right. He's going to be busy for a minute, folks. <laughs> and then she does all of these taxes that were um, back earlier. We we heard about how badly it went when you tax when the Celticars taxed the King's Land people. <laughs> the Celticars have this terrible habit of just saying, "Well, let's raise money by." tripling the, the tax on everything. Uh, not the first Celtigar to do this. Exactly. Like, you learned nothing. <laughs> so the Kingsland uh, folk, I guess apparently Kingslander is the word we're supposed to use. I, I just read that. Um, they start calling uh, Rainier a King Magor with teats, and that's where the phrase Magor's teats comes from. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, all of this, all of these things that really, uh, and again, our, our buddy Lannister helped hide all that gold and 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 the coffers but uh, this is what really causes a lot of the resentment in there and and the whole Megar's teats bit and then you have things like you know fish feed and 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 uh, the butcher's ball and all of these other things going on yeah there's a lot of reasons that they the people in uh king's landing are starting to turn on her 
I don't know if there's much more than that. I think there's a couple of decisions that she makes coming up where like she has Lord Corliss in one ear telling her to proceed with caution. You know, you have King's Landing. If you just part, you know, if you offer uh, terms to Mm -hmm. these other houses, they'll be more willing for their, you know, to take peace. You can have them take the black, you know, the Lords take the black and let the rest of their houses remain and loyal to you. And now you've got peace and Damon's just like so that's one idea (laughs) yeah how about if we just completely annihilate the Baratheon Lannister and uh, Hightower houses and we just put oh no I think he just lists Lannister and Baratheon houses and we put these two dragon seeds in there instead what do you guys think about that (laughs) (laughs) that seems about right for Damon (laughs) it does seem about right for Damon the thing is, is that that I think these kinds of things are, are actually what seed what Sir Alf and Sir Hugh do at at, at Tumbleton. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But I I feel like you know they were promised this and then they got that and then they were promised this and then they got that and finally they're like, hey man, we got dragons. what the heck are they doing trying to sell us off and then not giving us what we deserve we got dragons (laughs) it does go to their head a little bit i think maybe like vagar went to uh a head um yeah a little bit earlier one of the enemies that that uh rhaenyra punished were the rosbys and stokeworths had their tongues removed before they were executed because they were originally greens and I don't think this was what this one was fair because they turned to, they're like the closest houses to King's Landing. And Rhaenyra was way over on Dragonstone. Like if they didn't start, I'm sorry, they started as blacks. Mm-hmm. And so now when uh, the Aegon took King's Landing, it uh, was coronated in King's Landing. Of course, they had to say, just kidding. We're greens. Yay. Green. Yeah. Um, no kidding. I mean, it's like, and, OK, you're yeah. just across the river there. OK, like we're going to stand against you from here. Yeah, and like even when um, Kristen Cole took his um, forces out to go um, take Duck- Duskendale and then uh, Rook's Rest, Dragonstone didn't even have time to get there in time to save Duskendale. So Rosby and, and Stokeworth would have had no chance. So I don't think that one was super fair. I agree. Yeah, so they had their those houses were available because their heirs were both girls or their their oldest were girls, and that's the first time Damon was like, "Well, let's give it to Hugh and Ulf." And yeah, both of those conversations definitely should not have been had around Hugh and Ulf, which is why I'm thinking, you know, we've known uh, Damon to hang out with the lowest, you know, kind of uh, a villain here. And I think these two, he might have spent a little too much time with and heard their complaints. Because I think after the Battle of the Gullet, they were back in Dragonstone uh, having some beers and talking about how we should be knights. And then they were like, nah, we should be lords. And right. they were having that that actual conversation. So I like to think off page, these guys were hanging out with Damon and he was like, you know what? You guys are right. I'll I'll see if I can get put in a word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so each time he's uh, he tries to get them something and it doesn't work out, he doesn't look good, but he keeps trying. So I don't know. It's just weird. So that was uh, Corliss suggesting, you know, peace, Damon suggesting war, and Rhaenyra taking the middle route, which is, we haven't talked about him much, but this is uh, where Darian and Tessarion show up. And they've been kind of just trudging along with uh, the Hightower forces mm-hmm. from Old Town. And you can just look at any map and just see exactly where they're going. It's just they're coming right up the Mander, going through each and every of those uh, towns along the way. And right now they're just south of Tumbleton. 
And that's pretty close to King's Landing at this point. So she says she's going to split them up. And of course, Vermithor and Silverwing have to go together. So <laughs> they go to the south. Uh-huh. And then Damon and Caraxes, Nettles and Sheepstealer go to the Trident because Vagar has just been running amok. <laughs> Man, uh, yeah. Uh, Aemon's been just taking it out on the Riverlands ever since he got nothing but a castle. Yeah. And we did kind of skip over his terrors. I don't know. Do you want to... <laughs> It's kind of the annihilation of a house, just little things like that. If you wanted to talk about that, well, he's just kind of like he's like, "Ooh, that's a good looking field. Let's burn it." <laughs> well, yeah, he wipes out all of House Strong. You don't need to be a house anymore. You guys make me angry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, uh, the 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 curse of Heron Hall continues. Exactly. Yes, and uh, yeah, and then he and Kristen Cole have this argument about what they should do, and then they split up and. I don't think anything goes well for Kristen after that. No, he ends up kind of unceremoniously arrowed. Um, <laughs> arrowed. <laughs> while while treating uh, for surrender, actually. He was trying to surrender uh, at the butcher's ball, and they were, there was just too many too much bad blood there already. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah, the butcher's ball. You did mention that. I think I brushed over your... your did you want to talk about the butcher's ball? Uh, not... Kristen Cole's death was really the only thing that I really wanted to bring up, so I just kind of prefaced it for that. But um, uh, how about the battle by the lake shore to also... Oh, you mean the fish feed? The fish feed, as uh, it's better known. <laughs> uh, that was the bloodiest battle of the whole war, from what all that said, where all those men were just kind of backed into the reeds of the lake and then just slaughtered. Yeah, so this one's kind of neat because I was kind of tracking way back when when Eamon left King's Landing, he wanted to do this pincer move. He thought he'd be super cute and clever and do this pincer move on Harrenhal and the Lannisters all come out and and more than just the Lannisters forces, but they're leading it. And they try to cross this river a bunch of times and their their commander falls and they have this new commander. And it's just, I love how unceremoniously they fall to these like, he was like a nobody. <laughs> right. This no this nobody knight killed the, the Lord of Lannister. Then the next one takes over, and I think that one's actually a Tarbeck. And then they, they keep going and then the they get hit again by the River Lords. And then this third time is actually the wolf. What was it? What were they called? The winter wolves or something? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so they get uh set upon by Roddy the Ruin. And uh, the last of these, the Lannister host actually dies before making it to Harrenhal at, at all. <laughs> yeah, right on the shore there. Awful. Uh, and uh, if you if you like that kind of thing happening to Lannisters, and I guess cool. <laughs> well, you got to find joy where you can here, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to think of people from the North doing that kind of thing. I like to think of them as having more honor. That's true, although they did lose the most because it yeah, says that true. the Winter Wolves had uh, begged the honor of leading the attack and charged five times into the ranks of Lannister Spears. Yeah, they like, lost two-thirds of their men, if, according to this. Yeah, so part of me is thinking this was, um, or I think it might have even been mentioned that the uh, it was winter now, like the White Ravens had uh, flown. Yes, yeah, or somewhere so, close to, yeah. Yeah, so they... Uh, this might be, although I guess they started marching a long time ago. <laughs> it takes a while. Yeah, true enough. But they at least had the attitude by the time they got there that this would be their last battle, the, their last war, you know? Yeah. That feels very northern to me. 
That's true. Well, and they said winter was going to... They, they were basically old men, so they were ready to die. They were going to have to walk off into the snow anyway. Exactly, yeah. So, I guess they'd rather die with swords in their hands, just like they say in the text here. Yeah, and the Roddy the Ruin, who they were being led by, was a Dustin. Oh, he so was a Dustin. So, a famous, famous Dustin, yeah. So, that's the what was going on in the north, or the west, I suppose. And this whole time, you've got the high tower coming up the, from the south. <laughs> Yeah, you just gotta keep getting this, these victories, and I actually really liked um, Darren and Tessarion because the way that uh, Darren used Tessarion is almost how they were being used. The dragons were being used in the beginning, which was just a deterrent. Because every time they got to a town, the lords immediately surrendered because they didn't want to fight a dragon. Right. So you've got this high tower. I think it's Ormond High Tower. Just coming up without uh, taking many losses and not without doing too much damage this whole way. So good on him, you know. Except for the first one where Tessarian shows up out of the blue and uh, does wrecks havoc and goes nuts, and of course then Darren gets knighted. Right, <laughs> Darren the Daring, and he's so humble. He's like the good green. He's like the one good green. I think I like. <laughs> yeah, he's like it wasn't me. The honor belongs to Tessarian. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but at the same time, we have this whole thing about uh, Maelor being found as well, right? Yeah, yeah. And Which that's is very, where, very sad. That's like kind of right in the path of uh, the Hightower forces is Tumbleton. Um, and he's trying to get to the Hightowers who are just south of Tumbleton at this point. And he, uh, he gets to Bitterbridge. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. We find out. We find out that uh, at least uh, some of the uh, disappeared greens that were the uh, Lothar the or was it uh, Laris the clubfoot? Mm-hmm. He disappeared. Yeah, he disappeared. Aegon disappeared. The king himself, <laughs> and then his two uh, remaining children disappeared. And now we see where one of them turned up here with his egg. This was a cute story. This wasn't in the um, original. I don't think. But it was horrific what happened uh, to Maelor. Just the, the, I mean, Rickard Thorne. I love that we have a thorn in this story. Um, and that he's doing an honorable thing. But uh, yeah, we have uh, Maelor basically being, uh, there's some pretty awful accounts of maybe he was just ripped apart. I just, I'm... I don't know. The the whole mob mentality is almost as scary as uh, anything in these stories. This it was awful. Like it's just a little boy, yeah, and he gets. Uh, yeah, and well, and I I also just thought of the Septon who got ripped apart uh, during the riot in King's Landing for Joffrey. Yeah, and I think there was during um, a different uh, king earlier in the book we read. There was uh, his master of coin was from. Yes, um, uh, the. Uh, Lord of Air, I yeah, think was his the, title. The, the Lord of Air, yeah. Uh he was he was also uh mob mentalityed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But this one's the worst because he's like a baby. Yes. This, like, this kid can't possibly defend himself whatsoever. It's awful. And it seems like for a moment that, you know, they're gonna kill the 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 threatening one, which was the Knight of the King's Guard, but then they also kill the boy. <laughs> Oh, and send his head to King's Landing and his egg to the Hightowers? Like, what? Well, 
I guess the Hightowers always wanted a dragon ever since Alisane brought one to sit on their tower. I, I'm going to turn real quickly before we get into back into the plot. Yeah. Uh, more of the whole idea of maybe we, we don't know which dragon uh, this guy was going after, but uh, Byron Swan trying to follow the whole uh, legend of Serwin the Mirror Shield slew the dragon Urex by crouching <laughs> behind a shield so polished that the beast only saw his reflection. By this ruse, the hero crept close enough to drive a spear through the dragon's eye, earning the name by which we know him still. Um, and Byron Swan dies trying to do the same thing, but we're not even sure which dragon he was going after, which means which allegiance was he with? Was he trying to kill Sunfire? Was he trying to kill Vagar? Was he trying to kill Syrax? And it also makes his location difficult to determine. Um, so who is this Byron Swan and, and why was he there and where was he? And who was he trying to kill? <laughs> this is awesome. So this uh, this is actually brought up, this exact question and this exact uh, debate in uh, A Dance with Dragons. <laughs> did you did you find that yes yes oh yeah i love it so much <laughs> the where and uh, which dragon is unknown and it is debated to this day <laughs> all the way in essos the question is asked who was balance one trying to kill <laughs> yes which dragon so let's see Tyrion eventually says uh he's having this conversation with halden uh-huh and he says, uh, you know, this is when Holden is uh, still thinks that he's uh, Hugor Hill and he's trying to trying to test him. This is right when Varys is introducing who Hugor Hill to this uh, little group. Mm -hmm. And he's, uh, he's testing him. So he says, how did Serwin of the Mirror Shield slay the dragon Urex? And Tyrion answers how he did it with the, that exact story. But Holden was unimpressed. Even Duck knows that tale. Can you tell me the name of the knight who tried the same ploy with Vagar during the Dance of the Dragons? Tyrion smiled. Sir Byron Swan. He was roasted for his trouble. Only the dragon was Cyrix. Cyrax, not Vagar. Holden says, I fear you're mistaken. In the Dance of the Dragons, a true telling, Maester Munkin writes, Tyrion interrupts him, that it was Vagar. Grand Maester Munkin heirs. Sir Byron's squire saw his master die and wrote his daughter of the manner of it. His account says it was Cyrax, Rhaenerys's she-dragon, which makes much more sense than Munkin's version. Swan was the son of a marcher lord, and Storm's End was for Aegon. Vagar was ridden by Prince Aemond, Aegon's brother. Why should Swan want to slay her? Dun-dun-dun! And uh, maybe the question is still being answered, but Tyrion seems to think he's got the answer. Exactly. I just loved it. I was like, you know what? I'll take it. If Tyrion thinks it, <laughs> Tyrion went to the annals and found a, you know, the the letters of war that end up getting uh, uh, documented. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. I love that story. <laughs> the uh, that's yeah. And so I'm guessing that happened in King's Landing. Yep, would be would be the yeah. place. That's where Rhaenyra was at. <laughs> I do. I always appreciate the stories where the uh, dragons can defend themselves against humans. <laughs> yes, that's much better. Uh, that's why you like the ending that one chapter on Sunfire's uh, deal and, <laughs> and uh, bringing up this story right here. Exactly. Um, what else happened in this chapter? It jumped back and forth. Well, this is where we do 
it, you, we talked of Tumbleton a little earlier, which is where mm. uh, Rickard Thorne was trying to get with Maylor. Now we have a big turning of the tide because two guys with the nuclear button suddenly switch sides. No reason given. These men were not writ- writers. They didn't have uh, the. They didn't know the art of letters. <laughs> so they, yeah, we don't know why they did what they did. Mm. We can guess. And I think what we kind of were guessing earlier is the closest we'll ever get. Oh, man. This one is played out very uh, narratively, very uh, – you can picture the way that the townsfolk were feeling and yeah. the hope turning to ash in their mouth. <laughs> now, there was one curious quote here. Mm-hmm. Because it, it – uh, and I'll admit my ignorance right here. The northern men fought – their way through ten times their own number to where Lord Ormond Hightower sat his warhorse beneath King Aegon's golden dragon and the banners of Old Town and Hightower. But see, because he put the banners as after the and, for a second there, when I read this, I was like, wait a minute, is Ormond Hightower actually standing under Sunfire? What's- 100%, same thought. <laughs> or was it exactly. Aegon's banner? Because we know that Aegon's banner is a is a gold dragon on a black field, right? Exactly. No, and especially when I was going through just making my dragon list, I was just searching for the names of uh, like dragons or or of uh, like keywords, mm-hmm. and I came across that line, and I was like, wait, I don't remember this part of the story, and I had to like reread the whole section, and then it gets stuck. I got stuck on it. Yeah, it's unclear. You would think that uh, somebody would be able to write down the fact that there was another dragon there, but <laughs> uh, but I, I just found it. I think I think I got trolled by George. He separated it out like that just to make us do that, Kelly. I think so. I'm going to take it that way either way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and this this of course all of this happening uh, at, at Tumble, Tumbleton. Renera is getting more more and more paranoid and it it just that ultimately becomes kind of her undoing according to Gildane here. Oh yeah. So Tumbleton gets wrecked. Um you've got uh three dragons on them. The I I, I hate that we're not giving uh Tessaria and her due. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh the blue queen, right? Yeah, she is gorgeous, guys. Just picture picture her splendor. But anyway, um, the he, once this 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 uh betrayal occurs and they get word of it, betrayal begets more betrayal in King's Landing, right? She yeah. thinks, well, let's uh head it off at the pass and not let the other dragon seeds get a chance to betray us. Horrible. <laughs> I know, and and again, she kind of her her paranoia kind of does the same thing as. Eamon's hubris, right? Because he's going to go and get Hall, And now Rhaenyra has basically made her dragon defense useless in King's Landing outside of Syrax. By driving off... The, any, anybody who could ride the other dragons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the other dragons are uh, betrayed. Vermithor and Silverwing. And then you have... Uh, she gets her paranoia panties in a twist and drives off about to put uh, Adam Valerian in uh, this, you know, a cell or perhaps even like uh, kill him or something that he mm. gets warned by his dad, grandpa, yeah. <laughs> Lord Corliss, and he uh, escapes on sea smoke. 
which earns Coralis uh, a nice cozy corner of a dungeon cell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now who's around Rhaenyra? Like she has her her own uh, Cyrax, uh, who she's flown like she's flown him like um, or she's flown her once or twice. Like she's not doing much on Cyrax. <laughs> she's she's not doing much with Cyrax at all. And and even you know the shakeup of the whole council to me is is another thing. I guess she's still got mushroom. Well, yeah, you can't discount <laughs> the quality of counsel that she is getting from her fool. <laughs> 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 but like just in that last section, we were talking about how Coralis was the voice of of peace and, and reason, Damon was yeah. yeah, and Damon was the voice of like fighting and who knows where the best solution might have been but the one she went with was in the middle but now she doesn't have you know those two advi- you know advisors around her now <laughs> because she also calls for the the white worm misery right and says what do you know about all this you're my basically she's the the master of whisperers here or the mistress of whisperers and she puts this this bug in her ear about how nettles and damon are sleeping together and nettles is pregnant which seems to be like the last straw She's a, a a feces stirrer. Ah, yep. <laughs> um, and, and, well, she's probably mad about it too, because you know she used to hang with Damon a lot when he was in King's Landing, so she's probably a little miffed about that. Yeah, and it is interesting that this one upset Rhaenyra, whereas M- Misery didn't. Right. Interesting. Who knows how Misery even knew that Nettles was pregnant? Like that seems like it didn't. They, nothing was mentioned of that in the nettles sections, you know. Right. It was kind of. It was barely even rumored that they slept together. I mean, I guess it was kind of heavily rumored, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before we get to the the big climax of, mm-hmm. of of this chapter, right at the end, um, I I love this bit here too about, um, Hugh and and Alf, for all these reasons. Lord Hammer, as he now styled himself, began to dream of crowns. Why be a lord when you can be a king, he told the men who began to gather around him. And talk was heard in camp of a prophecy of ancient days that said, quote, When the hammer shall fall upon the dragon, a new king shall rise and none shall stand before him. Whence came, oh, my God. Whence oh came, my God. Yeah. Whence came these words remains a mystery. <laughs> Not from Hammer himself, who would neither who could neither read nor write, but within a few days, every man at Tumbleton had heard them. So that's a prophecy for our modern story. But <laughs> you're so smart. <laughs> I didn't even think of Robert. <laughs> it's totally a prophecy about Robert, and uh, I love that. <laughs> you're so right. That's awesome. <laughs> Or you know what I think even funnier is if like just somebody who was a follower of uh, Hugh and wanted to hitch their wagon to somebody with uh, some legs, you know, or mm. wings, as it were, mm-hmm. <laughs> they just made this up and started spreading it around. And then it actually became a true prophecy. <laughs> yeah, it seems to me that it, the, it's implied here that this prophecy had been around for a long, long time. Talk was heard in camp of a prophecy of ancient days. I, I like the idea that people just start saying something and say, you know, this is a prophecy. <laughs> it fit a, it fit a little too good. <laughs> yeah. But uh, not, not well enough, as we'll, we'll find out later with uh, how their stories go. I think <laughs> they don't seem long for this world. <laughs> they don't. 
Not when you're doing stuff like that against Targaryens. Doesn't matter, oh, which, doesn't matter which Targaryens. Don't do that to Targaryens. We see what that happens. What happens to that time after time after time after time. From there, uh, they had a. They were just kind of chilling in Tumbleton at that point. Like they were having a real bad time in Tumbleton. <laughs> Tumbleton is like the epitome of uh, a city that gets like sacked again and again and again, and it's horrific what happens to the people to the small yeah. folk. It's like they made up for all of the uh, the lack of fighting that they had along the way, the High Towers and Tessarian up from uh, <laughs> from uh, Old Town, and they just saved it all for Tumbleton. <laughs> yeah. Oh, in, in every horrible way. Awful. And so I think we just leave them there for for a while, right? Yeah. And we get to the big ending here. I think that's it. Yep. <laughs> when we have uh, what happens with uh, Damon and uh, Nettles. Yeah. Um, and how uh, the maester finds a solution because uh, Rhaenyra sends this order that Nettles be killed to bring her head back to Rhaenyra, to her bannerman of the time. And Damon and Nettles have been running around, uh, flying, never separating. Yeah, even though it's suggested they might cover more ground that way, they won't separate. Um, and, of course, everything seems to be true about Damon and Nettles, as we find out through the course of this chapter. And then once this betrayal happens and... and the maester finds a way to tell Damon without getting anybody killed. It's really sad for me to see Nettles just kind of float away. Yeah, but of all the endings she could have had. <laughs> True enough. I mean, yeah. I, I guess I guess it's a victory for her life, but um, it seems like that they were kind of happy together. Yeah, and even if they weren't really together together, like, she fought at the gullet, and she's been looking for Vagar, and, like, she's been doing her part here. Like, Well, and she was the only one who showed any remorse about any of it. Exactly, yeah. She seems to have the, the best heart of the new dragon seeds. Uh, I think Adam Valer uh, Valerian was Adam of Hull, uh, was, mm. ends up being a good guy. But the um, as far as the uh, the others go, she's definitely... One of the good ones. And I kind of think as, as far as this, this world goes and this, this story is going, I feel like this was kind of a mercy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sure and as far as the, the, the lords go, I felt like that was a horrible position for Rhaenyra to put her uh, her bannerman in, you know? Like, you don't ask something that will bring dishonor on them. Like, they've eaten of, you know, under your roof. They're under your protection. Like... This is one of those times where Rainier is definitely in, like the the one making the orders definitely in the wrong mm -hmm. to put their their bannerman in that position. If like the point of swearing an oath is that I won't ask you to do anything that will bring you dishonor, I think they were uh, they were all in the right for the decision that they made. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, it especially when you think about guest rights and all of these other things that we've seen broken easily before in our modern story. Um, it felt really good to see that family resist doing that. Yeah, like just be reasonable. Yeah. You know, it's just like, well, we offered these people guest rights. You know, we're not going to do this. Um, but how can we keep from doing this? We're dead either way. What a, what a horrible position to put your bannerman in. And I, I did actually end up respecting Damon like a little bit more at the end here when he said, you're a bad maester, but you're a good man. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. You know, I feel like he gets the, you know, all that time he spends with uh, folks from every walk of life, I feel like has given him that perspective. <laughs> exactly. And, and I feel like that's what makes Damon's end here at the end of this chapter seem justified in a way, because we never see Eamon really change. But to me, it feels like, you know, Damon, by granting this maester his life, more or less, or telling him to keep his chain, um, he he does do the right thing in the end. And then he goes and sacrifices himself, uh, so to speak, um, for um, his cause, but doesn't, you know, but does it kind of in an honorable way. Yeah, kind of does the only thing he can do because he can't go back to Rhaenyra um, or maybe he doesn't even want to go back to Rhaenyra after hearing that she's made this order on somebody he cares about or he thinks she, maybe she's gone mad or she's she'll never forgive him. Whatever his reason, like he doesn't go back to her like that could have been an option. But nope, he's it's going to finish what he started. He's a fighter. He's a warrior. And he takes out the oldest dragon uh, in uh, in Westeros. Yeah. Yeah. Fiercest beast. The fiercest beast. Uh, still alive. The only one left from the conqueror. Um, the time of the conquering. So, uh, do we want to? Do we want to? Mm -hmm. <laughs> go for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, as you kind of read at the the er earlier in the beginning about their meeting um, at the God's Eye, Amon or. Yeah, Eamon shows up there, but Damon's been waiting for what, 13 or 14 days, and he's been like hacking away at the God's tree mm -hmm. for uh, for the every each day and waiting for him. Like just that picture alone is so forlorn and kind of like he is just waiting to die. It seems. Yeah. I don't know. He's not doesn't take any um, pleasure in anything. He's just kind of there by himself. I feel like that's a a perfect location to do that too. You know. Yeah, a desolate place like Heron Hall for sure. Here yet again, dragons battling over water, dragons falling into water. Another body that fights for the blacks, not found. So that brings us to a total of possibly four. Yeah, just in this week's read alone. Just adds another level of like mystery and, you know, the, the idea of like when a, a god dies, like you can't, their bodies aren't like obtainable, you know, like they're just, <laughs> yeah, they're just gone. They're so otherworldly. It's they're, they're not like other men. But they, they, women. All, they all been Kenobi'd and just disappeared. Yes. Became part <laughs> yeah. of the force. Totally. I like that. That's even if they, uh, some of the other boys, they, you know, they did have their bodies. Um, the, I think the green, none of the greens had this happen, did they? I don't recall a single green this happening to, only blacks. Yeah, kind of adds a little bit of hero heroics to the to the side of the blacks, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to cement that with the quote, that Prince Damon died as well, we cannot doubt. His remains were never found, but there are queer currents in that lake and hungry fish as well. The singers tell us that the old prince survived the fall and afterwards made his way back to the girl Nettles to spend the remainder of his days at her side. Aw. Of course, <laughs> even Mushroom dismissed this one. <laughs> yeah, and I, for uh, for now, I just like the, the difference between uh, Damon and uh, his, his dragon, uh, Caraxes, and 
how old Damon was and how young Caraxi was in comparison to how young Amond was and how old Vagar was. <laughs> it was highlighted in how they mounted their dragons and how their dragons took to the sky. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll read this part. Then the old prince bade Caraxes bend his neck and climbed stiffly onto his back, whilst the younger prince kissed his woman and vaulted lightly onto Vagar, taking care to fasten the four short chains between belt and saddle. And then Caraxes hissed again, filling the air with flame, and Vagar answered with a roar. The two dragons leapt into the sky. Uh, Caraxes took up swiftly... And then Vagar, older and much larger, was also slower, made ponderous by her very size, and ascended more gradually in ever-widening circles that took her and her rider out over the waters of the god's eye. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but that, that whole strapping down thing. Mm-mm. Yeah, you don't want to do that, a- Aemon. You don't want to do that, because uh, that's what ends up being Aemon's undoing, really. Oh, they probably both were going to die anyway. But... Caraxes then just descends down on on Vagar because, you know, faster up and faster down. And the ferocity with which Caraxes which, uh, just kept holding on to Vagar. I thought that, I mean, this this part of the tale is is a really gripping part of the tale for me. And th- this is the kind of stuff that um, you can't help but turn. You, you can't stop reading this part. Yes, he writes these scenes so well. They're gripping. <laughs> Very gripping. But I just love how Damon just leaps off of his own mount and drives Dark Sister right through Aemon. Yeah, and I wonder if that would have was that enough to kill uh Vagar? Like how was like the um Caraxes tar- tearing at her was enough to uh to kill her? Well, I, I think it's just was just the the hitting of of the ground, just the fall, yeah, but okay. you know, into the ocean. If if the splash is as high as the as the uh, as the tallest tower in Harrenhal, then there there was a pretty big splash. Although it says that uh, Vagar's carcass plunged to the, oh to the lake floor, so yes. she was dead, maybe dead on on upon hitting the. It's a good point. Oh yeah, that still lake. Yeah. It's like hitting concrete. It's like hitting concrete. You're so right. I do not recommend trying, uh, testing this theory out personally, folks. <laughs> we do not recommend that at all. Um, but uh, yeah, go do a belly flop just from the side of a pool, not from thousands of feet up and, <laughs> and see what happens. See how much that hurts. Just that. Now, anyway, uh, it, it's just it's it's just this heroic thing to me that Damon does, which despite Rhaenyra's unraveling. I, I don't know. There's nothing but tragedy here, of course, because the old, the oldest dragon in in the kingdom has died. One of the coolest dragons in the kingdom has died, <laughs> um, and and their writers have have both died. And it's just hard to it's hard to escape the tragedy of it. But the the, the accounting, like who who the heck could have actually seen that? That's what I was wondering too. Uh, I guess uh, Alice was there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, they say there were so few there were so few witnesses that it took time for word to spread, right? Yeah, it, and it also I can just recommend anybody try to see somebody 200, 300 feet up in the air 
and moving super fast and just go ahead and tell me what they're doing. You know, like tell me the exact details of uh, how people maneuvered up there. Cause I don't think from the ground you could see that very well. So maybe they're just uh, taking what they saw from the, uh, from the body at the, at the end there. Yeah. Wow, I was going to say there, there is, there is the evidence of, of, of Eamon and, and the fact that later on uh, Vagar, his remains were found and, Dark Sister was still planted where where Damon had placed it. But there's nothing to say that Damon actually jumped from one dragon to another. Maybe he just threw the thing. <laughs> Perhaps he's just really good aim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the the CSI Catelyn uh, ancestor was on the scene on this one. Well, CSI Catelyn probably deduced that there were witnesses <laughs> who saw Damon <laughs> chain himself in and there were witnesses who saw Damon not and so the only logical conclusion is that Damon could have jumped whereas Eamon you know either way Eamon was stuck yeah and, and I guess Eamon was still chained into Vagar yes yeah, yeah. yeah. so, so, so Eamon was stuck um, he, there was nothing he could do um, and whether Damon actually achieved what he did, or maybe he just kind of fell off Caraxes and fell onto Aegon at the time that they were all falling, that's possible too. Oh, do you think he lived? I'd like to think he did, but I don't <laughs> think he did. <laughs> I like the, the little quiet part of you saying, I want to believe. <laughs> I, want, I want to believe. The fan, the fan in me wants to, the fan in me wants to believe that all of these blacks are, were floating around and, and making other potential Targaryen babies. Yeah, having adventures and stories still. Yeah. Well, Vagar was 181 years old when she died. Uh, it specifically says that, uh, I don't know how they got the count, but somebody had uh, knew when Vagar had hatched. So we got uh, we got one dragon's age. Uh, I think besides her and uh, Balerion, we don't really get very many dragon's ages um, Balerion was over 220 years old, so she didn't quite live to be as old as, uh, as Balerion. Right. But uh, Caraxes um, was young in um, 72 AC, so he was probably around 58 or older years old. Mm -hmm. Not not even like half uh, uh, Vagar's age. So so now wait a minute. What year do we end this on? Is this 30? This, this 130. is 130. 130? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that means that Vagar was around the same age as Caraxes is here when Vagar helped Aegon conquer, helped Balerion conquer. Yeah, yeah, 52. Uh, so she hatched in 52 uh, BC. Mm -hmm. So yeah, during the conquest, she would have been 50, um, 52 or 53, 54. Yeah. yeah. Right around the same age. Good catch. That's a cool thing to think about. <laughs> And of course, that makes you think of how big some of these other dragons could have grown and how <laughs> yes, what the world would have been if not this, none of this fighting had happened. <laughs> Something that we neglected to mention, and I mm -hmm. can't, I don't have it in my notes and I can't remember his name, but there's this little guy with a snub of an arm uh, oh, running yeah. around in King's Landing, <laughs> doesn't like any dragons at all. Dragons are bad. We should do something about the dragons. <laughs> he's uh the dead shepherd is his name and they uh they make him for a, a thief because his arm's been cut off and yeah he constantly is pointing his his stub everywhere when he's gesturing <laughs> with it 
he's not in the original very much. A lot of his his material is new, if that's why you are, barely remember this guy. Um, a lot of the stuff was just kind of written down as the, the riots and the rioters, but then it's kind of changed in this version to the, the shepherd's flock and stuff like that. And then a lot more expanded on in this version. So yes. it's a... Uh, all new about this guy yeah. i think they might have made more uh to give more explanation as to what was about to come next <laughs> i was gonna Raina. say we, we got to put a pin in it for now but in the next reading we're definitely going to find out what happened yeah and that's where this uh this section ends so i know you haven't been super crazy about it so far matt uh this this text so far how do you feel about it now give well i i gotta say that uh, for me right now this is a part of the story that I was somewhat more familiar with. It's just still really hard for me to keep track of all the names and everything. <laughs> but since I had uh, done the princess and the queen on podcast Winterfell, I think is when we did that. I do find it still a very compelling story. And if you are a TV only person who is reading the books for the first time and starting this read with us and you don't have the season seven Blu-rays, Go get them because this story, not to this extent, but this story of the Dance of Dragons is told pretty well in a in a really nice like thirty minute long animation regarding the Dance of Dragons. Oh, this. with those cool three D kind of moving um, yeah. pictures. Oh, cool! I sounded really old when I said that just now. Those those three D moving pictures, Matt. <laughs> yeah, there's animations, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's a name for that, but those are really pretty too. How about you? As many times as you've gone over stuff <laughs> like in the world of Ice and Fire and in the Princess and the Queen and this, and yes, there is some new material and everything, but um, is this old hat for you now or are you still finding oh my it enjoyable? Gosh. I wish it was old hat. This is like still a, a struggle to keep everything straight. I think I've kind of got a handle on the, uh, after making like, I did eventually go back and make a spreadsheet of uh, the family trees just to figure out the the greens and the blacks and their kids and who they were flying and who died. Like, I was like, I'm losing track because it just occurred to me this week that uh, Damon was married to Lena and then married Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra was married to Lenore and then married Damon. So all of their kids are kind of related, <laughs> like cousins mm. and half siblings of each other. <laughs> like, it's it's uh, like like I said, uh, I tweeted out uh, a couple of months ago when I first started to read just like the first four, five, six, seven chapters of this. I'm just like, what an bleeped up family. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I love how numb we are to it. At least I am. I'm just like, yeah, he married his niece. What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> Which is why, you know, we should not be worried about Daenerys, even though John was horrified by it. In the show, exactly another good call. Good call, Matt. Yep, it's the norm in this uh, in this world where there are dragons, people. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I'm I'm loving it. I still find new stuff, and I'm still putting stuff together. And um, I'm going back and listening to some older podcasts, which are like super fun to listen to as people read uh, the Princess and the Queen for the first time. So it's kind of fun to actually feel smart because I'm like, I know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. It just took like years and years of rereading them and doing several podcasts about them. <laughs> there you go. Kelly, once again, thank you so much for joining me this time around. And if people want to talk to you about any of these chapters or uh, any a Song of Ice and Fire book, I suppose, or mm -hmm. the television show, how can they contact you? 
yeah, reach out to me at, uh, on Twitter. My handle Thang is at Kelly Underfoot. K-E-L-L-Y. That's me. And it's underfoot like my girl. <laughs> yeah. All right, folks. And remember, you can always tweet to at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter to find me. Or you can send emails to Matt's audioblog at gmail.com. M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com. Or you can just go to mattsaudioblog.com to find all of the back episodes of this podcast and all that good stuff, all the contact. I even have a contact form. I mean, there's just no excuse for you not to send feedback, folks. Really. <laughs> Seriously. There's no excuse. I've got a contact form right there. You just type in your little thing and then you hit send. It's right there. You don't even have to type in a, a, an address. It just comes to me because I've got a, one of those little forms <laughs> on my website. Take care. Just uh, send him the, your favorite dragon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which which dragon is your favorite? Some people like the Blue Queen. Some people some, like... Some of us do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Thank you, Matt. <laughs> Bye, everybody. We'll see you next time. Send tweets to the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod and send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>